0: Hey y'all. It's your host, Avery Carl. Welcome to The Short Term Show special episode series on Scottsdale, Arizona. So in these 10 episodes, we are going to take a deep dive into the Scottsdale market, but I want to note a couple of things for you guys first. So if you are looking for current income numbers and current purchase prices, or you want to set up a search of Scottsdale properties, you can do that at our website, theshorttermshop.com. You can also connect with us there to get connected with our Scottsdale agents, or any of our other markets, any agents in the other markets that we work in. So hope you guys enjoy our Scottsdale mini series and we'll catch you guys later. Be sure to join our Facebook group, it's called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth, same title as my book, and we'd love to connect with you there as well. Thanks guys, let's go. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the short term show special episode series on the Scottsdale, Arizona market. Today we're going to go through the contract process. So I think a lot of investors get tripped up because they focus on only how to analyze, how to choose, which is the most important part. But then when they get to the actual contracts, they have a lot of questions and they don't know what stuff is and they don't know how things are supposed to go. So we are going to talk about that today. So you guys, you listeners, Understand the contract process here. So there aren't really any surprises when you do go to buy a property in this market. So, we've got a cool panel to talk about this today. You guys are already familiar with Leslie Carbajal and Jessica Rush, our agents in that market. But we also have Paul at Stratton Inspections. you want to introduce yourself really quick? We're going to talk to Paul a little bit later in the episode.
1: Absolutely. Paul Stratton with Stratton Inspections. Happy to be here today. Lovely uh, day in Arizona. This is awesome.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. All right, Leslie and Jessica, We'll start with you guys. So I am an investor. We have looked at a few properties. We've come up with the one that will probably be the best option for me, and I am ready to make an offer. So we're getting out that contract. We're going to write that offer. We've got our number in mind. We know what our financing is. So all that stuff goes on the contract, but there's some other terms and things that people might not know what they are. So first, let's talk about earnest money. What is the standard amount of earnest money? that people tend to put down in this market?
2: I mean, I'm used to 1% at least. Sometimes that's um, countered back, but most of the time 1% is the typical number that's appropriate, I'd say. Jessica, what about you?
3: Yeah, I'd say for most deals, um, 1% is pretty standard. It's it's almost, I'd say in our market, it's almost insulting to do less, yeah. um, but it can be more if you want to make your offer stronger. Um So yeah, I'd say about 1%, depending on the deal and depending on if you have competition or not. Exactly.
0: Okay, pretty typical. So if it's a really in-demand property and we're getting a lot of multiple offer or a multiple offer situation, maybe you want to put down more earnest money to show seriousness, but typically you're looking at 1% when it comes to earnest money. So how long, how many days does a buyer have to get their earnest money in if their contract is accepted?
2: I mean, it's supposed to be three business days, (laughs) but... It varies a little bit depending on when the offer was submitted and accepted. So if it's like going into a weekend or on the weekend, there's a little bit, at least I've always had some, you know, some buffer. Um, Sometimes wires take a little bit of time. And I feel like most parties are pretty flexible as long as it's within a reasonable amount of time.
0: Okay. So, but the typical number that goes on the, on the contract is three business days, three three business days. Okay. Good to know. Now let's talk about some of the other terms of the contract. So furniture, if the, if the unit is coming furnished, do you have to do a separate furniture agreement that's off of the real estate contract or in Arizona, can you put the furniture right on the real estate contract and just note that it's not part of the real estate value?
3: No, don't do that. <laughs> do not put personal property on the contract. The contract is for real property only. So if there are, um, if there is personal property conveying, then there's a separate bill of sale involved. And, um, while real estate agents aren't, you know, that's, that's outside of our scope. We're not furniture brokers where we, um, deal in property. We <laughs> can, um, facilitate that through the seller and the buyer, but the best way to CYA is to list absolutely everything as a line item on the bill of sale. And if, if the property comes, furnished then um hopefully the listing agent maybe already has that um you know all of those um personal property items on a list um and then depending on the deal you negotiate it can convey you know through with zero dollars but if you have a bill of sale there then then you have proof of what conveys and what doesn't
0: got it so the reason guys in some states that well you're really not supposed to do it in In any state, but some states have special places on the contracts for non real property. But when you're getting a loan on a property, the bank can only lend on the real estate. They can't lend on personal property. So if you have personal property on the real estate contract, it gets it kicks underwriting all out of whack. And they say, well, how much of this value is real estate and how much of this value is personal property? And then they can't lend on it and it it holds up the contract process. So just make sure any furniture or personal items, anything that's not real estate is not on that real estate contract and it's on a separate um, bill of sale. So very important to remember. And to, do you guys see, since, since this isn't a 100% vacation rental market, do you guys see people trying to charge a lot of extra money for the furniture for them to leave the furniture? I mean,
2: I've run into a little bit of excess and it, it seems to be a little at starting point, yes, but usually we can get it negotiated down to where it's more of a reasonable price. But yeah, some people start out ridiculous or they'll state in in the listing uh with the right price offer, furniture will be included or, you know, something along those lines. So, um My experience outside of this state, because I have invested in other states, it was handled quite differently. So yes, Arizona is a little different.
0: Okay, definitely something to keep in mind. Yeah. And so for me, and this might not work, in an area where the the property that they're selling is something that they're moving out of that they used to live in, but it can work if they're an out-of-state owner and maybe they just, maybe it was a short-term rental or maybe it was their second home. If you just, if they want to charge you an exorbitant amount for the furniture and you just tell them if, if it really only works if they're out-of-state, but if yeah. you tell them like, I don't really want, the furniture, like we don't want it. A lot of times, towards the end of the contract, they'll realize what a pain in the ass it's going to be for them to have to go get the furniture and drag their asses all the way to Arizona and get it all out. and And then, what are they going to do with it? That they'll just let you have it. You'll just yeah. end it. End up with it for for free. So that doesn't that game of chicken, it can backfire. I will say I've had a 100% success rate with it so far. So just keep that in mind as a buyer that it is a big pain for a seller to come from out of state or if they're moving somewhere that's already furnished or if they're moving to travel the world or something like that, it's going to be a big pain to try and do anything with that furniture. So just a little tip that I like to use but it can backfire don't don't go do that and then end up with no furniture that you w- wanted to have and say well Avery told me to do this <laughs> uh, but it's worked for me uh next let's talk about disclosure so when a seller selling a property in Arizona if they haven't lived in it if it's an investment property or a second home do they have is there disclosure different? Do they get to exempt themselves from like a full disclosure because they don't live there, so they don't really know everything that's going on? Or does it work the same as if they were living there as a primary home where they do have to disclose every little thing?
2: I mean, I've come across instances where they'll be upfront and say that, um, you know, the spuds may be limited because it's an investment property or they've never lived in the property. So they will say upfront, but they still have to um, fill it out. It still has to be submitted. Um, what about you, Jessica? How, what's your experience?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I would say I see this most on flip properties where they they say um, in the private remarks, agent to agent, um, that the seller has never occupied the property, so the spuds are limited. But like Leslie said, they do have to fill it out still.
0: So. And what happens? I feel like disclosures are so like you want you want them to disclose everything possible. But sometimes there will be something inside the wall going on that a seller didn't know about, like maybe a leak or something. And then buyers don't find it until months after closing or weeks after closing. And then they think, oh, you knew about this and didn't disclose. It becomes this whole thing. So uh, just make sure we're we're about to get to home inspections. So um, we'll get to that in a second. But so in Arizona, they are supposed to disclose everything. Yes.
3: Yes. it's a big no, no. If you don't disclose something, a material fact about the property that you knew. Um, so I think if there was a dispute, you'd have to prove that you didn't know, but, but yes, you are required to disclose everything you know about that property. Yeah. Got it.
0: All right. So let's move on to contingencies. So, oh, hang on before that, uh, earnest money. So earnest money in because earnest money is tied into contingencies. Just just stick with me here. So is earnest money refundable in Arizona if you terminate under one of the contingencies, which we'll talk about in a minute. Is it refundable? Yes. Yes. Okay. Are there any other separate deposits that have to be made other than earnest money? No. Okay.
2: Cool. I mean, agents could charge like a retainer fee and things like that. There are um uh addendums and things like that, um, that you can incorporate into the contract, but typically no, um, you know, the initial deposit would be your earnest money.
0: Got it. Okay. So in some States there are, there's more than one deposit. So there's earnest money and then there's an additional option fee or due diligence fee and stuff like that. But here we don't have that. So it's truly just refundable earnest money. So what are the contingencies in a contract to where someone could terminate and get their earnest money back? So I would assume inspection and financing contingencies, but are there any others? I mean, appraisal would be
2: one, uh, but yeah, it's the three, um, inspection, um, the loan contingency and the appraisal. Okay.
0: So let's talk about the inspection. First, let's talk about the inspection period. How long is a typical
3: inspection period in Arizona? The contract, um, the standard contract is written as 10 days, uh, that's negotiable. In a balanced market, it's um, It's standard to leave it as 10 days. Obviously, every deal is different and it totally depends on if you have competition. If you don't, you can shorten it, you can lengthen it. Um, sometimes you can lengthen it if you're out of state and you want to be present for the inspection wrap-up and i'm sure we'll talk about that here in a minute when we talk about inspections but sometimes the the seller will will give you a little extra time in the inspection if you if you're from out of state and you want to travel to your property um you know to to be present for the inspection got it and
0: when we say it's 10 days we'll call it 10 days just for the sake of of talking about it right now so do you just have to have your list of objections or things that you want fixed in by the 10 days or all negotiation has to be closed by 10 days? It's
2: it's your, um, your objections or the things that you would like to be addressed or fixed um, on the buyer side within 10 days. And then the sellers get, um, it's typically five days, so by default, 10 days for the buyer's inspection period, unless that's changed. And then their response time would be by default, five days, unless you change that date um, for them to respond.
0: And once, so let's say we turn in our list on the 10th day, how many days do we have to negotiate then once that's turned in? An additional five. Additional five. Okay. And does the clock start on that five? Once we get to 10 days, or does it start once we turn in our sheet? So if we turn in our list of objections on the fifth day, we still only have five more days, right? Well, I don't know, Jessica, usually I'm familiar.
2: Once you turn it in, you're forfeiting the remaining days um, because that's, you know, you're giving them the list of items. So you've already done all of the inspections that you wanted to complete, whether that be, um, you know, termite or, you know, the lead-based paint, if you wanted to go there, um, roofing, all of it, sewer, plumbing, all of it. Um, once you turn in your list of things that you want addressed, your time stops and their time starts.
0: Okay, got it. So that that's like a lot of the states that I'm licensed in. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, so for what reasons under the inspection contingency can you terminate? Does it have to be something related to something that's found on the inspection report or can it be just? Can you terminate if you get cold feet? What are the rules there?
3: So you have to give a material fact to the seller. You have to um, give a reason. I actually had this happen in a contract not too long ago. Um, they canceled with a really vague reason on the benzor, and the the broker requires that you. You cancel with the material fact, so it doesn't necessarily have to be something that came up on the inspection, but it could be something that's material to the buyer that they found through their due diligence. Like they can't use the property for what they thought they wanted to use it for, or um, you know something else. It doesn't necessarily have to be because of the inspection, but but you do have to list your reason on your response.
0: So it's gotta be like a material defect of the house. You can't just say like, oh, the numbers don't work as great as I thought they were, let's terminate. You have to use something from the inspection. All right, and Paul, this is where you come in. So let's talk about what an inspection looks like in this market. So, when somebody gives you a call and says, Hey, I think I want to schedule a home inspection, what does that cover? What does a typical standard home inspection cover in this market? Well,
1: in this market, uh, we have to go off uh, Arizona standards. And that's basically uh, the four major things would be your roofing, air conditioning unit, electrical, and plumbing. Um, Structural can be also tied into there. So, these are some uh, things we can visually see and test. And so those are just some things that they would expect us to look at when we're doing the inspection.
0: Okay. So you're not doing things like opening up walls or digging under dirt and looking at pipes or anything down there.
1: Correct. Yeah. Anything that's hidden or behind a wall or under flooring, uh, just things we cannot see. So uninspectable.
0: Gotcha. So what are some of the normal things? Because I think a lot of people, especially if they're new, think that there is such a thing as a clean inspection report that has zero points on it and so when they see, you know, a 10-page inspection report before they even look at it they freak out because they're like oh my god look at this huge long list when a lot of times it's not really a big deal. So can you kind of give us some some basics of what you see really often that may not be a big deal here?
1: Absolutely. So yeah, homes are like people, no home is perfect, no person is perfect. So we're always going to find some things. Um hopefully Not as many things as you would expect, but um, typically, especially here in Arizona, we're always finding cracked tiles. We have a lot of tile roofs, and that's not the end of the world. Cracked tiles, they're fixable, they're replaceable, fairly inexpensive fix. Air conditioning units, you know, those are another thing, you know, that because of our our heat and everything else, they're getting used a ton. So uh, we find issues with air conditioning units, but relatively, like... Tracks in the drywall, you know, these are all cosmetic issues um, that are fixable, not big deals. So a lot of people, if you uh, if you have a big list on your report, a lot of those are handyman items that are fixable and, and should not scare you. Gotcha.
0: So in addition to a typical home inspection or a standard home inspection, so you guys are looking, you know, you're flipping on all the lights, you're making sure all the electrical outlets work. You're making sure all the faucets and sinks and stuff work. You're looking at... uh typical wear and tear of the house condition of things so what what about ancillary inspections that people might want to get like a pest inspection or a radon inspection are those outside inspectors for that or do you guys do that
1: we we do some of that like your termite inspection or pest inspection uh we usually try to schedule that if the client wants it And, and oftentimes they need it if it's a va loan or an fha loan they're going to need those inspections um and so we'll schedule that for them, and have the inspector out there, the pest inspection out there, at the same time we're there. Um, as far as mold inspections go, or or radon things like that, those are separate inspections. We do sewer scope inspections too, and those okay. aren't part of your standard home inspection.
0: Okay, so if if somebody wants to, if somebody's under contract and they want to get everything inspected, they would need to call you guys, schedule a regular home inspection, schedule the sewer scope, and all that probably a pest inspection. And did you say right on is, is some, in some markets they do right on all the time in some markets, it's not really a thing. We
1: do right on here. It's very hit and miss. It's not as mm-hmm. prevalent here, but, uh, we do do right on as well.
0: Okay. Awesome. Anything else that needs to be inspected? Oh, when you guys do a roof inspection, do you guys like have a drone? Do you have to get up there? Do you just kind of look and see what you can see? So How that, does a roof-
1: there's a lot of scenarios with roofing. Like if it's a new build, we, you know, t- most times we can't get on that roof because we'll avoid the warranty of the roofing product. And so we'll drone those. Um, we do carry drones, um, play tile roofs. You just can't walk on those roofs. You'll break every tile. So we have to drone uh, roofs like that. But typically I would say 90% of the roofs we inspect, uh, we usually are able to get on.
0: Okay. That's cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's huge, you know, getting on a roof, you can see a lot more than just a ladder at the eve, or even with a drone, you're able to to look at areas that you could, couldn't normally look at with, with a drone. So it's good if we can get on a roof.
0: What questions have I not asked that you feel like a lot of investors need to understand about home inspections in this market or getting home inspections done in this market? So I think
1: uh, a lot of people are really scared of the home inspection when they don't need to be. Um, it's more of an educational experience. And it's really knowing what you're buying and being comfortable with what the inspection report says. And like I mentioned earlier, most things are fixable. Um, And so if people can go in with the expectation of, hey, they're going to have a long laundry list of things or short, um, you know, their expectations can can meet their standard and and they know what to expect instead of just being scared of the inspection and and worrying about that we're going to find something major.
0: Got it. And guys, when you hire a home inspector, a lot of times your agent is going to have three or four home inspector recommendations. Don't just tell your agent, oh, I trust you, just schedule whoever. You need to make sure that you are calling home inspectors, that you're talking to them, that you make sure that ask them to explain what things look like and what what the process looks like before you hire them. It's your job to hire your own vendors. Don't trust somebody else to do it. Even the, you know, the road to hell is paved with best intentions, right? So uh things can get lost in translation. You may not understand uh what exactly was scheduled, or you know, just any little thing can get missed that's a minor thing that can turn into a big thing. So always call hire your own people make sure you understand the process and then i think a big one that people miss towards the end is when they get their inspection they don't call the inspector and ask questions and they just assume you know stuff that may or may not be a big deal and just don't they don't call to get any clarification so absolutely do that because there might be stuff on there that you think is a huge deal that isn't or there might be stuff on there that is a huge deal but the way it was worded you you thought it wasn't a big deal and then you close and then you find out oh crap this is a big deal. So just make sure that you're communicating with your home inspector throughout the process. And thank you very much Paul. Yeah. Um okay. So, let's we've we've negotiated, we've had our home inspection, we've negotiated the re- repairs that we want done, we've gotten to the end of our 5-day negotiations and we're all good. So, the next thing that we have to deal with is probably Well, financing and appraisal contingency is kind of intertwined, but let's talk about financing first. So is there a certain deadline in the Arizona contracts that you have to have full approval by? Or if something happens like the day of closing and all of a sudden the the lender says, actually, you're denied. Maybe somebody lost their job or maybe somebody accidentally financed a Lamborghini and now they don't qualify anymore accidentally. Uh, What happens if for some reason anywhere throughout the deal, but particularly the end, all of a sudden were denied by the bank. Do I lose my earnest money or does that fall under the financing contingency?
3: Leslie, you were smiling. Do you have a story? <laughs> <for this> <laughs> so story?
0: I've had two types of scenarios happen. The, f-
2: the first one was, um, they basically just got loan denial, uh, two days past close of escrow. Um, and, you know, they were given their earnest money back. You know, we had to submit all of the appropriate paperwork to title and um, they had to give us the loan denial letter um, and, and you know, the letter stating that uh, the funds were released to, in this case, the buyer. Um, so, yes, they were able to get their earnest money refunded back to them. And then another instance where the loan denial came for, you know, there was a whole laundry list of reasons why. Um, and they had their loan denial, but there was certain wording in the loan denial that that the sellers didn't agree with. And so they fought to have the earnest money um, refunded to them. And of course, my buyer wanted his earnest money back. And so it went to title and they had to make the decision. And that took You know, X amount of weeks and they finally came back with no decision. So they had to go to arbitration and um, it's still in limbo at this point. And it's been about a month and a half, two months. So there's instances where even a loan denial, depending on the reason as to why it's stated, you may
0: lose your earnest money, uh, unfortunately. So, yeah, craziness. (laughs) So that, I mean, that makes sense. And yeah. I guess my other question about you, you kind of touched on about earnest money. So in Arizona is earnest money. If you terminate under one of these contingencies, like, oh, I lost my job. I no longer qualify financing contingency or, you know, I'm terminating on the house is falling down on the inspection. I get my earnest money back. Is that automatic? Does the title company just give you the earnest money back or does the seller also have to sign a release? And can they push back a little bit on that?
2: Well, there's no releases, but, you know, they definitely can push back if they don't agree with the reasoning as to why. Um, so I think that, it's, you know, maybe in the instance for the inspection period, if if you don't have a valid reason, they could push back. Um, but it's a lengthy process and it's never certain which which direction, ty- um, yeah, escrow will go in their decision um, because they're supposed to remain neutral and all of that. So. Um, when there's any type of cancellation, for whatever the reason is, under any of those contingencies, you do have to let title know. And then they have to supply you with a letter so that, you know, all parties show that they receive the earnest money appropriately and yada, yada. So there is.
3: Yeah, you know. yeah. And in, in the um, Arizona purchase contract, it does say that if there's a debate, then title decides So like in Leslie's situation, um, there was a debate and title was um, supposed to make a decision. Obviously, they didn't. So then it goes to arbitration. But but typically, if you if you're going to cancel for any reason that the contract, a contingency that the contract provides, then you provide that paperwork to title. And then they say, okay, you know, this goes in goes in line with the contract and um, we'll give you your earnest money back.
2: And it's not instant. Usually it takes a little okay. bit of time, depending on how you want your money uh, refunded back to you. But um, it's about, I've heard from certain clients about like a week and a half, depending, but they do get it back.
0: Yeah. So I think my main comment here is that when it comes to getting earnest money back, nothing is automatic. So mm-hmm. if you're trying to get really, really cute with your inspection period and um, because I'm let me preface with what I'm what I'm about to say with this. So if you truly have become uncomfortable with the property because of anything with the inspection, fine, that's one thing. But where we see people get in trouble is they they get shiny object syndrome and they'll see another house that they like better and they'll see they'll see things popping on the market when they're under contract and or trying to get under contract on multiple things at one time and see who they can beat up the most in the inspection and who will give them the best deal. And then going with that one and terminating all the other ones. If you try to get cute like that, you can lose a lot of sets of earnest money. So the only person at the end of the day who can truly decide who gets the earnest money back is a judge. So if a seller wants to hold you up, they can. So just make sure that you're acting in good faith. Acting in good faith just means that, oh, you know what? I was comfortable and now I'm not comfortable. Something has happened to make me uncomfortable and not just like, oh, I want to get all these properties and see who's who's going to give me the best deal and I'll just terminate all the other ones. That's not really operating in good faith. So just make sure you're operating in good faith to best help save your earnest money or keep your earnest money safe. Um, all right, let's talk about appraisals for a minute. So, if the house does not appraise, what are our options? Say it appraises ten thousand under. What are our options? You can negotiate.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so you go. You can go back to the seller and say it. So you have you have three options. You can either come up with the cash to add on top of your loan, to add to your down payment, to make up for the gap if you want the property. Um, but you're able to make up for it. Or you can, you can tell the seller like, Hey, look, I, I, I don't have the extra money to, to make up for this gap. So either you negotiate or we don't. Um, so actually that's just two, I didn't come prepared to do math today, but, um, so, and then the seller has their option, you know, either they can negotiate the price or they can say, well, we'll go down some, but you have to come up with the rest of the cash or, or what have you but it usually doesn't it usually doesn't uh, benefit a seller to um, to not negotiate with the buyer if the appraisal came in low because then after all that time you then you have to go back on market and then the seller actually has to disclose that to the next buyer that they didn't sell to their previous buyer because it didn't appraise so that doesn't usually benefit a seller so you kind of have a little bit more leverage as a buyer if it appraises low um, however, some sellers, you know, um, can, and they can appeal the appraisal as well. So, um, typically, it's it's um, it's pretty um, it's pretty smooth going usually with appraisals. But in changing markets, um, sometimes appraisers can throw a wrench in your plans. But everything is negotiable. So there's a few four things that can happen. One, the
0: seller can come down to the appraised value. Two, you can come up to the contract value, which is not ideal. Number one is ideal. Three, y'all can meet somewhere in the middle. But when I say come up to the appraised value, I mean, that's cash. So the lender is still only going to give you the loan for the amount of what it it appraised for. Anything on top of that would be cash out of your pocket. Just wanted to clarify that. So three, you can meet in the middle. Or four, you could just terminate the contract and move on to something else. Get your earnest money back. Yes. Okay. Makes, Makes good sense so far. Um, all right, let's talk about the closing process. So we've made it through our appraisal. Everything's good. When can I get the keys uh, in Arizona? So is it once I sign my closing docs or once the loan has funded and the seller has their money in their account? Once it's recorded. <laughs> recorded. Okay. So that means like recorded with the county or the city. Yeah. Gotcha. And there's and how special in-
2: instances where it can be, um, added into the contract, you know, prior to close of escrow that's not encouraged usually but some people do it um there's there just could be a whole bunch of things as reasons as to why you don't want to go that direction
3: i'd say yeah. possessions are are way more common than pre-possessions i've actually never um, represented somebody that that needed or wanted a pre-possession um mm-hmm. and i i wouldn't want my clients to to get into that um because that can be really sticky legally, but post possessions are pretty common, especially when the market was so hot in the last couple of years, um, or if the um, seller is out of state and it's a second home or an investment property, and they need time, and they are getting the furniture out, and they need some time after close, um, and that and that can be a negotiating point for you as a buyer. You know, hey, um, I don't I don't need access to this property right away after close. I'll give you some time to move out after you get your money. Um, after you know it's a done deal, it's done and recorded. So um, it just depends. I don't see, I haven't dealt with a pre-possession yet, but but there are post possessions and quite a bit in our market, I'd say.
0: So what I'm getting at is people who, maybe they're supposed to close at 4 p.m. on Friday and they roll into town from another state with a truck full of furniture and they close at four and think they're going to get their keys and go straight to their house. That's not what happens, right? No. It can take, (laughs) it can take, until the next day for it to be recorded usually so just my recommendation would be to close remotely from wherever you are and then once you know it's closed and funded and everything then come down and do all of your stuff because it can be really really sad when you drive all the way and then something happens with closing and it gets held up and then you have to find a place to stay overnight because it's not actually closed until the next day so keep that in mind Um, The other thing I wanted to talk about is your final walkthrough or your final inspection. Sometimes those terms are interchangeable. Do you guys have final walkthroughs in Arizona? Yes.
2: And we have an addendum for it. So it's encouraged to at least fill out the addendum. Even if you choose to forfeit um, your final walkthrough, you do not have to, but you have to state that you are electing that option. Um, And that's typically, it's typically about three days before um, close of escrow, but I've had final walkthroughs day of, day before. Um, As long as you have the documentation, it's fine.
0: So I kind of want to clarify what this is. So your final walkthrough slash final inspection is not a chance to go try and find a bunch more stuff wrong with it and knock a bunch of dollars off the price. That's not what it's for. What it's for is just for you to walk through one more time, make sure that everything is the way that it was in the same condition or better condition than it was when you went under contract or when it was inspected. Uh, There are only two people who can do your final inspection for you. Uh, I see a lot of investors who will say like, oh, my agent in Ohio did my final walkthrough. Why won't you do it? Your agent is not qualified to do that there are only two people who can. One is you. So you've personally looked at it and you're saying that you you are satisfied and filling out that addendum. And your home inspector who did the initial home inspection, usually they'll charge a fee to go back out and just make sure that the things that they noted that were supposed to be fixed are fixed and all that. But um, real estate agents can't do that because we are not A, you or B, licensed to do any sort of you know, looking at quality of repairs or things like that. So, I've made a mistake when I was a new agent and did a final walkthrough for a client, did a video. You know, we videoed everything. He was happy with it. He closed like a week later. He came back, wanted to come after me financially because there was some squishy floor around one of the toilets that there's no way I would have even known that was there unless I'd gone and used the toilet and still then maybe wouldn't have noticed. So, for that reason, that's why you don't want your agent doing it. Cause I don't know. I don't know what constitutes a squishy floor. <laughs> that's not my that's not my, my deal. So you want to have somebody who is licensed handyman or sorry, not handyman, a home inspector, contractor, somebody like that to do that if it's not you yourself. Um and I mean I've seen even on a smaller scale, like if there were no repairs done and they just got some money off. Uh, an agent walking through and not realizing that the seller took a couple pieces of art that the buyer wanted and just not not seeing that not realizing so it really does need to be you. So I just wanted to make that clear because I think a lot of people are like oh well you know my agent in Indianapolis did it and they don't understand that it really is a big liability for both you as the buyer and your agent. Uh and I believe that is everything. Have we missed anything? related to contracts in Arizona that you think our listeners would benefit from hearing? No, I think we covered everything that's of importance. Um, I mean,
2: there's some, there's some legal stuff in there that you'd want to be familiar with if it ever does come up, but um, that's like obviously worst case scenario being cured and things like that.
0: Yeah. That's, that's attorney stuff. We're just going over the basics here. Yeah. So,
3: Um, I, would got say, it. I, oh, ahead. I would say I would say on your I was thinking on your um, final walkthrough on your inspection. Um this is a little more common maybe in other markets, but also in Arizona in monsoon season. Um to if you have a big storm, like if you're inspector has come back and checked your repairs um or is planning to and there's gonna be a big storm between and like the last few days right before close. Maybe wait till after the storm to, to have your I love that that's perfect. Yes. Do the final walkthrough because things can bust loose and break loose and yes. cause problems. So um <laughs> yeah I I I'm sure Paul has had some experience with that in um in his in his business. But
1: yeah, it goes, we can go months without any moisture rain at all. And then all of a sudden they've moved in and monsoon season hits and there's a leak. So unforeseen because it wasn't leaking at the time of the inspection and all of our inspections are what we could see at the time of the inspection. So yeah, we run into that quite common.
0: All right. Well guys, if you're ready to maybe start talking to some of our team in Scottsdale about buying a house, you can do that by emailing us at agents at the and we'll get you connected. Or if you want to just hang out with us some more, be sure to join our Facebook group. It's called short-term rental, long-term wealth. Same title as my book right behind me. And if you want to just chat with us, we have a live Q and a every Thursday and you can join that at strquestions.com. And if you'd like to hire Stratton inspections in Scottsdale for your next home inspection, Paul, how can they do that? Where can they find you? They
1: can. Contact us via email, phone, or text. Our phone number is 480-215-7264, or they can contact us through email at inspections at strattoninspections.com.
0: All right. Well, thank you guys so much, and we'll catch you on the next episode.
1: Thank you.